May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Through two chapters of Lamentations, we have seen a society in mourning, a people struggling to understand what has happened to them and how they could possibly move forward. Has God left them? Is their sin so grievous that not even the love of God himself could forgive them? For the first 18 verses in chapter 3, it seems like more of the same. Jeremiah begins by saying, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Now, if you've been with us these past couple of weeks, these words sound very familiar you've ever read Lamentations, this certainly fits with what we've seen. But we should note an important shift here. Through the first two chapters, the language has been largely communal. We are suffering. We have sinned. Beginning in chapter 3, however, the language shifts to the first person. I am the man, Jeremiah writes. This time of suffering, like any time of suffering, has both a communal and an individual component. Though a prophet of God, Jeremiah is not distant from the suffering of the people. He experiences it intensely. And he stands now as a representative of the people. His individual experience of suffering gives voice to the collective suffering of Judah. If there is any distance at all, here, it is, at all here, it is the distance that Jeremiah feels from God. So strained is the relationship between our father and the prophet that he can't even write the name of God. He can't even say his title. All he can say is he. It's a dark place to be in. To be separated from God so much that you can't even call him God or Father. The words can't even come out of your mouth. To look and to see your people, your very life in ruins. It is a dark place. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, Jeremiah laments. My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord, he cries in verse 18. He seems completely and utterly without hope. And yet at that moment, a shift occurs. For the first time in the chapter, the word Lord comes out of his mouth, and it's as if a pinprick of light shimmers in the darkness. 
With the simple utterance of the name of God, hope reappears even for the most hopeless. And that ultimately is the message of chapter 3. That no matter how dark, no matter how bleak things appear, both collectively and individually, the faithfulness of our Father is never ending, and so hope never fades. What wonderful words for our world to hear in our day. Ours is a world of strain, of plague and war, of strife, of economic fear, of government indecision, of fractured relationships. In a word, it is hopeless. And yet, at the mere mention of the name of the Lord, at the name of Jesus, light appears in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. You who feel distant from God today, you who are consumed with worry, you who believe yourself too far from our Father to ever have a path back to Him, you who feel hopeless at the name of Jesus, light flickers in the darkness. How do we get there? How do we get from hopelessness to seeing the light of God's faithfulness? Well, we're going to talk about three things this morning. And the first is being reflective. Or we could say being thoughtful and engaged. Now to be clear, I'm not talking about when you're in the middle of your suffering or your your mourning that you need to stop and ask, well, what am I learning from this moment? Right? We can imagine being that person with the oh-so-helpful friend who comes and asks us, now what is it that you've learned? And in my flesh, I would respond, well, I've learned that I want to throw something at you. (laughs) We're not talking about that. We're not talking about the unhelpful, finger-wagging sort of thinking. But when many people are suffering, they do start to ask questions, don't they? Why is this happening? Why me? What have I done to deserve this? We ask inward-looking questions. It's what most of us do most of the time in our suffering. We turn inward in the hope to find a way out. While turning inward can give us some answers, the challenge is that none of them are hopeful. Look at verses 19 and 20. Jeremiah writes, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. His mind is constantly on his sufferings. And the more he thinks on them, the more hopeless he becomes. That is what it means that his soul is bowed down within him. He's depressing himself. But the answer is not found in then simply shutting off. That's the temptation we feel, right? If my thoughts are making me hopeless, then I'll simply act as if these things aren't happening. I'll think good thoughts. I'll be positive. The power of positive thinking, right? Well, the power of positive thinking is ultimately powerless, isn't it? You can't just think good thoughts. And so rather than disengaging with everything or or pretending as if everything's fine when it isn't, We have to engage with something different. 
But this I call to mind, Jeremiah says in verse 20. It's thoughtful engagement. It's not detachment. He continues, and therefore I have hope. He engages with what he is going through, not by looking inward, but by looking towards something else. And hope begins to grow because of it. To move from hopelessness to knowing God's faithfulness, we need to be reflective. That's our first point for today. We don't disengage and run from it. We don't pretend it isn't there and just think happy thoughts. And we don't just reflect on anything at all. We reflect, we engage faithfully. Jeremiah shows us what that looks like. In the despair that looking inward brings, he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What is it that he calls to mind? It's nothing other than the very character and heart of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. If Jeremiah kept his focus inward upon himself, all he would have seen is sinfulness and hopelessness. Now those things are good to see and acknowledge. But it is a terrible thing to get stuck there. Stuck in that inward reflection that only leads to more and more darkness and doubt and despair. And so rather, once we see and acknowledge our own sinfulness and our own helplessness, we are to engage not with ourselves, but with what we know of our Lord God. That he is our portion. That he is everything that we need. We reflect inward so that our gaze can be turned upward to God who offers unending love, unending forgiveness, and unending grace. Jump down to verse 31. Having heard of the steadfast, meaning unending love of God, and how vast his faithfulness is, we read this. For the Lord will not cast off forever, But though he will cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Now, a couple things we want to gain from this. First, to reflect faithfully is to understand that while God will allow us to experience the effects of our sin, it is not his desire to bring trouble on his people. That was made very clear last week, right? Where we saw the people looking at God as if he was their enemy, simply because he allowed them to experience exactly what he said would happen if they rejected him. He warned them for generations, if you reject me, this is how things are going to go for you, and it will not be pretty. And now the people are seeing it firsthand. But that only came after countless warnings, after sending prophet after prophet to instruct the people. Because the truth is, as Peter tells us, the Lord is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord calls us to himself again and again, but he will allow us to see what life is like without him. That is what our God is like. The second thing we want to see here, though, is that he acts in accordance with his steadfast love. Not that God acts in response to us, as if we hit the necessary level of love, and then he responds with love back to us. He acts out of the abundance of his steadfast love. His love is greater and better. And it is first. The point is, friends, that you cannot move God to love you any more than he does. To be steadfast means unwavering, unmovable. That is the way that God loves his people. With unwavering, unchanging love. And since he is unchanging in his love, he does not cast off forever. He allows us, like the prodigal children we are, to go for our strolls through life without him. All so that we can see that that ends in a place that we would never want to be. And all with the desire that we would turn back to him. That we would repent and find our way back to a father who is waiting for us. With open arms to welcome us home. And so the call to us is the call that Jeremiah writes to his people in verse 40. He says, let us test and examine our ways, right? Thoughtful reflection. Test and examine. They're engaging. And return to the Lord. Faithful reflection. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. Thoughtful reflection that is faithful, that brings us to praising God. To reflect faithfully on God is to see a father who receives his children, not because we have made ourselves worthy of him. And I say this to you with all the love I can muster in myself for you. You will never make yourself worthy of God's love. You will never elevate yourself to the level of Jesus but you never have to. That is not what he asks of you. For the Lord does not cast off forever, but freely receives his children back to him out of the abundance of his steadfast love. Reflecting faithfully on our condition in the heart of our Father brings out one shining, glorious word. That word is grace. As one commentator pointed out, Jeremiah bursts out singing, Great is your faithfulness, because he is overwhelmed by the never-ending grace that our Father has for us, by how inexhaustible the Father's love is for us. What did we sing a moment ago? What did we read just before that? His mercy is new each morning. His mercy is new each morning. The morning that you lost a loved one. The morning that you found yourself without a job and hungry. The morning where you weren't sure what the next step was. The morning where you didn't feel like getting out of bed because what's the point? 
each and every morning, even those mornings, his steadfast love is there to greet you without wavering, without ending. His grace is there for you, even you who believe that you are unable to receive it. It is there for you who believe that your sin is too much, that you have far too much sin in your past, that you could ever be forgiven. Friends, who was it that Jeremiah was writing to? We've talked about it this whole time, right? This is a people that had a list of sins so long we'd never hit the end of it. And yet he writes, the Lord will not cast off forever. He will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Though we are faithless, he is faithful. Reflecting faithfully is to be overwhelmed by the life-changing grace of God. Turn from your sin then and receive his grace. Last thing for this morning. One more thing. My one more things usually end up being two or three more, but I'll do my best. Reflecting faithfully brings hope and peace. Verse 55. I call on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to cry to my cry for help. Jeremiah is in the pit. He is as low as you can possibly get. Hear that, you who believe yourselves unforgivable or unlovable. You who have no hope left. You who are in the pit. Jeremiah was in the pit. And he cried out to God. And God heard him. The Lord hears those who call upon him. And what does the Lord say in response to their cry for help? Jeremiah recalls, you came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Would that our world would hear those words. Do not fear. Fear is rampant in this world, isn't it? It's all over our culture, isn't it? Whether it be the fear of war or the fear of COVID, the fear of economic ruin, even the fear of government, fear is everywhere. And fear is not of the Lord. Perfect love casts out fear, Scripture tells us. And it is perfect love with which we have been loved. The love of Christ for you is perfect, and so if you are in Him, you need not fear. The Lord hears your plea. He hears your cry. It may seem like He doesn't because sometimes we need to wait upon Him. And I'm sorry to tell you, friends, but crying out to God means waiting sometimes. And Jeremiah tells us in verse 26 that it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes we need to wait. But in our waiting, we reflect faithfully and we find the hope and peace that only Christ can offer us because the Lord hears us. And the Lord has acted. Verse 58, we read, You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. The prophet wrote these words while Jerusalem was a pile of rubble and the people were marching into exile and slavery in Babylon. And yet he says, you have redeemed my life. 
I know that it can seem hopeless at times. I know it can seem that there is no such thing as redemption. But let me tell you, friends, what did you just read? The mercies of God are new every morning. He has taken up our cause and redeemed our lives. You know how I know that? How did we begin? With Jeremiah starting this poem by referring to himself as the man of affliction who was under the rod of wrath, who was driven into darkness. He stands as the representative for the people, as the substitute to give voice to their plea. Well, I promise you this, we have an even greater substitute. One who substituted himself for us on the cross. The one who lived the life that we should have lived and then died the death that we deserved. So that he could take our afflictions, our sins upon himself. He placed himself under the wrath of God. He descended into darkness for us so that we might not have to experience the darkness that separation from God brings. And now he stands as our representative before the Father. Also that when the Father looks upon those who are in Christ, he sees not our sinfulness, but the righteousness of Jesus himself. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds... We are healed. Jesus has taken up our cause, and through his death in our place, in his resurrection, by his power, he has redeemed us. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, the Father made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The truth is, as the old father of the church wrote, St. Cyril, your accumulated offenses do not surpass the multitude of God's mercies. Your wounds do not surpass the great physician's skill. Reflecting upon our own helplessness reveals the truth that we cannot save ourselves, and so we look to the Lord. In faithfulness, we see his unending grace and love. And then through submitting to Christ, we are given hope and peace. All according to his steadfast love. His grace is there for us. It is sufficient for us. Believe then the words that you just sang yourselves. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.